morning. I want to welcome all in the auditorium, those watching online, and possibly pleasure of you today. You're also watching live, so welcome you all. And uh, just, let's give them a little love. You want to? They're, they're actually joining us live now at our, one of our campuses, so that's pretty awesome. I'm going to have a word of prayer, so God will unite all of our hearts no matter where we're worshiping, and so let's, let's do that. So Lord, thank you so much for this moment in time. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you together. And Lord, we're so grateful for uh, technology. We're so grateful for uh, you, the way you've extended the reach of our community. And uh, we just ask now that you, uh, you would allow your Holy Spirit to move freely, uh, no matter where we are with you, no matter where we're worshiping, um, just move freely and speak to us the message that you want us to hear as individuals and as a community. And Lord, all that is so easy for you. That's just who you are. And so for us that to happen, hide me deep in your cross and, and let us hear just, just from you today, we ask in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, I uh, am, uh, I'm not as old as some of you, because <laughs> some of y'all way up there. I mean, but I, I definitely would say that we are, we are like more divided than I can recall at any time in my life as a, as a world and certainly as a country. And it's really amazing. You, you can you just throw out any topic you want on social media and somebody's going to disagree with you. So like, you know, just say something like, like minor, like who you voted for. And, um, you know, everyone's going to come at you, you know, or, or say something like, you know, like you like cats and they're going to, oh no, dogs are better. And just people are just nasty and, and so divided right now. And, and, uh, and, and, and people are actually disagreeing about like really, really important things. Like I probably can show it in the room. So how many of you all are Duke's like, like mayonnaise, Duke mayonnaise? How many of y'all are Duke mayonnaise? Raise them good and high. Put your hand down. How many of y'all are Hellman's? See, how many of y'all want to leave the person you're sitting beside right now because you know, or how many of you are Coke people? Let's see the Coke people. Okay, great. Thank you. How many Pepsi people? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Nature, God's elixir. And so, you know, that, 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 we all have this division and it's not even like, like, how about this? Um, uh, we have like uh, Tiger fans, you know, Clemson Tiger fans. And then we have like, I can't remember the other school, but you know that we have those fans um, as well. And so there's this like division just about over uh, just about anything right now. And, and so it's kind of this, this weird time to live. And, and what troubles me a bit is, uh, you know, the, the church hasn't exactly been a poster child for unity in these days. In fact, I'm not sure we can tell any difference in the division within the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church. And it's actually uh, a division within the walls of the church that I want to call your attention to today um, because this divide isn't so much over a practice that any church is doing, although that could be a point of, of division and contention. It's not a result of a position of a church or even a theological position of a church or a political position of a church. The divide that I want to talk about is far deeper. And I would say it has the potential to be more damaging than any other division we talk about. Here's the way I would describe it. I think churches are filled with good people who desire for God to do something for them. And I fear we're not raising up people who simply desire God anymore. So what I'm trying to say, and I understand this, by the way, I'm not necessarily, this is y'all's problem. I think it's probably my problem. But, you know, I want people to be healthy. We want understanding of who we are. We want our marriages to thrive or our marriages to start or our singleness to thrive, whatever it is, our choice. We want our wayward child to come back. We want everybody in our family to, to stay healthy and well. We want a better job, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and what, what I'm afraid is happening is the church has become this big snack dispenser. 
And so like we all come to the big snack dispenser on the weekend and we pull up, grab a coffee, put a quarter in and then get what we need from God, but we still walk away without God himself. So we're looking for his blessing. That's how we think this whole thing works, but we're missing God himself. And I can find myself in the category of asking God to do something as opposed to simply seeking God. And I want people, God, to heal people. I pray that. I want God to provide miraculously or reveal something about next steps for my life in some dramatic fashion. But I've been following God for a couple decades now. And let me say something that I'm, I know will offend some of you. So if you're, that's what we took the offering earlier, you know, just so that, you know, now I've kind of got a license to kill. So if, if you're following God only for what he can do for you, you will be disappointed regularly. And eventually, you will become disengaged and disenchanted with God altogether. And I know that flies in the face of everything you're hearing. I guess what I'm learning is that God actually is the blessing. Not what God can do for me or what I believe God, or, but I, I desire, or what I desire for God to do in me or for me, that kind of thing. It's God himself that is the actual gift. So we're desiring God to give us presence and God is saying, I'm giving you my presence. Do you follow? That's, that's the point of division. And if you agree with what I'm saying, the question is, how do we move from being a believer or a people who are wanting from God to a group of folks that just want God? What does that process look like? And how do we move from wanting God to do for me to just desiring God to be with me? See, throughout the Old and New Testament, God revealed himself to his people as this gift. And, and the words used to describe God tell a little bit about who God is and what the gift actually is of his presence. Not what he can do for you, not what he's going to bless you with, but who he actually is and, and where we can see God in our everyday lives. And so over this series, we're going to bring out these different words that describe God and, and hopefully do this and look in the Old, Old and New Testament. And I'm especially excited because today I get to focus on God's glory. And I want to talk about God's glory and, and see how it impacts our relationship with God. And I'm going to do it through the life of Moses. Everybody with me? Turn your neighbor, say, I'm with you. Come on, fish pretend, say, I'm with you. Okay, three of us. Okay, that's, that's fine. That's all right. So let me see what I can do. So Moses, uh, you remember, he leads the people out of Egypt and uh, through miraculous means. There were plagues, there were like frogs everywhere and boils broke out and the Nile turns to blood. And then there was the, the, the sea that parts, you know, so the children of Israel can walk across there. And then God provides food like manna and the people got tired of manna, so he provides quail. And then God provides water from this rock all for this people. And the message is really really loud and clear. Yahweh's big, powerful God. And this big, powerful God is going to make the Hebrew people his people and the conduit to the world. That's what's going on. So they get out, they're all delivered, and they're out there by Mount Sinai, and Moses is called up to Mount Sinai, and while he's there, God will give Moses the law. And that includes not just the Ten Commandments and, and, and the extensive law for how his people should now live. Part of that conversation, those Ten, ten Commandments. However, while Moses is on the mountain of God, 
with God, the people who are down at the foot of the mountain get restless. This is taking too long. And so they decide to create this golden calf to worship. Why? God's getting ready to give them the law. Here's why. Because we all love to worship a God we control, even if we have to create it. And so if you and I feel like we need a God who's like a big ATM dispenser, we'll create that God. And we'll all come together and we'll worship the ATM God on a Sunday morning. Oh, God's just going to bless us. He's going to bless us in this powerful way and he's going to give me like a whole lot of good things. And I think this may be where the idea of God as a big dispenser or whatever, where it begins. Of course we want a God that will give us stuff. Of course we want to believe a God that's going to make sure nobody ever gets sick. The problem is we can't even fool ourselves with that one. So we'll form preachers or churches, churches, we'll form churches that preach the God we created and we'll all gather and we'll worship in these places for the God that we created. I read a quote this week from a real popular minister of of the gospel or preacher and this this is what he said, God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. I might be doing it wrong. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, uh, if God's love for us is to be measured by our health and wealth, then God must have really hated the Apostle Paul who wrote three-quarters of the New Testament. You see, we've created that God. It's our golden calf. We think, oh, God's going to bless us. We'll make it out of what we value, riches or health or wealth or whatever. That's what the people had done when Moses was on the mountain. So Moses comes down and rebukes the people who made the golden calf, and it's this huge ordeal. But God, when he saw how the people had responded and the God they had created, after he'd done all that stuff for them, getting them out of Egypt, all this miraculous stuff that God had provided for them, God saw them fed up with their stubbornness of the people, and this is what he said to Moses. Go up to the land flowing of milk and honey, the promised land, but I ain't going. I'm not going with you because you're stiff-necked. Turn to your neighbor and say, you stiff-necked. Go ahead, tell them. Just give it to them. You know you feel it. Say, you stiff-necked. You're one of the stiff-necked people I've ever seen. You know, just tell them. I I think I said neckness and it sounded like naked. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, But God said, I'm not going to go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So instead of God going with them, he's going to now send an angel with the people. And the people were greatly disturbed by this because this is the God who'd given them so much. He'd brought them out of Egypt. He'd given them food. He'd given them water. He'd given them safety and he'd given them security. And now he's not going. So when the children of Israel get together, they set up their little camp Outside of the camp, they set up this little tent called the Tent of Meeting. This is before the tabernacle and all that stuff. Tent of Meeting. And Moses would go to that tent to talk to God. In fact, if you read it in Scripture, all the children of Israel would get in front of their tents and stand when they saw Moses walking through the camp to go to the Tent of Meeting out of a sign of respect because they knew something significant was happening. Moses the Deliverer. Moses, the lawgiver, would go into the tent of meeting, and now he has another descriptor. 
Scripture says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak with his friend. Track Moses. He's going to get us to this point we're trying to learn today. Now, God speaks with Moses like a friend, buddy to buddy, so to speak. And in one of those meetings, Moses does something very bold. God sees the golden calf. He says, I'm not going. Moses doesn't address it at all in that moment. He files it away, and he brings it up in his next conversation in the tent of meeting. Here's how the conversation went. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people, but you haven't let me know with whom you're going to send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. Well, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this nation is your people. <laughs> An angel's impressive, but he isn't God, not Yahweh. Here's how the Lord replied. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Hebrew word for presence actually is a forehead or face, same word. So Moses the deliverer, Moses the lawgiver, Moses the friend of God, is now Moses who sees God face to face. Do you follow? Do you see the progression of his deepening walk with God? Seeing you face to face a more intimate relationship between Moses and God. And so Moses responds. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Don't miss this. Do you remember where they're headed? The promised land. Land flowing with milk and honey. It was promised to Abraham. And Moses says, if you're not going, leave us right here in the wilderness. You see, it went from what God could give, and now it's about God. Moses has gone from God, do this, from the burning bush, and what if I can't do this, and what if I can't do this, to the plagues and the, and the miracles and the exodus, and now he's like, Lord, whatever is involved, I, I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. I think Moses has fallen in love with God. He doesn't want anything from God other than his presence. I'll do anything for you. Please just don't send me away from who you are, from your presence. Do you all remember when King David messed up with Bathsheba and he wrote that Psalm 51? Do you remember what he said? In Psalm 51, he said, cast me not away, throw me not away from your presence. That was the value. It wasn't make sure I'm a rich and wealthy and powerful king. It was just don't throw me out of your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Moses, at this point in his life, is utterly dissatisfied with anything less than the presence of God. You see, our distinction as believers in this world is not what we have. And our distinctions as believers in this world is not that we're all to have these easy lives. Our distinction as believers in this world isn't that we're all going to live healthy and we're going to die with our boots on and our bed and our sleep. That's not what's going to happen. 
That's not our distinction. Our distinction is not, listen, you're not jacked up if you're going through a trial or struggle or grief right now. You're normal. Our distinction isn't that we'll never have trials or grief. Our distinction is God's presence is actually with us. That's the gift. It's God's presence will go with you no matter what it is. Whether it's a doctor's office or a board meeting, whether it's, you know, putting in your time at the office or at the work site or whatever, or whether it's a difficulty with a kid or whatever, our distinction is God's presence is with us. And I think we're too easily pleased with what God does for us. And all the while, he desires to give us his presence. You think about it. You find yourself praising God if some prayer was answered. Oh, I lost my keys, and I prayed, and bam, there they were. Thank you, Lord. Well, maybe, maybe you just remembered where your keys were. I don't know. I mean, who knows? But the gift all along is that God's going to be with you when you're looking for your keys. Do you follow? God's going to be with you when you're caring for someone who's sick. In response to Moses' cry for the presence of God, the Lord says this, I'll do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you, check this out, and I know you by name. Do you all remember the burning bush thing when Moses said, who are you? And God said, here's your name, here's my name. Now God's saying to Moses, I now know your name. Do you see the progression? It's getting more and more intimate. God knows Moses by name. It's a face-to-face relationship. However, while God sees all of Moses, Moses isn't seeing all of God. And Moses desires more. And now we're ready for the word. Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I think one of the responsibilities of parents is to wrestle their children when they're small. And I did it so when my son got bigger than me, I would still have a psychological advantage over him. (laughs) Send me an email, I don't care. That's what I did. So when they're small and you're wrestling with the kids, they'll all gang up on you. You remember this if you've had kids or grandkids or whatever, and it's just awesome. They're just like, it's a pile on dad kind of moment, and you're on the carpet, and they're like, you know, jumping off the furniture and, you know, biting. And I mean, they're just going at you all the time. But as parents, we know we have to show restraint because Lisa's watching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like, there, son, what about that? You know, I mean, no, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. So you can't do that. You can't, like, you can't, you can't, you know, respond with their aggression. Parents, we have to show restraint all the time. You don't want to put too much weight on the child. You don't want to overpower the child. You don't want to beat the child, like, not, not beat, um, how do I say that? You don't want to be victorious over the child or, or harm the child. You don't want to do anything like that. Well, Moses is asking God, the father, throw off restraint here. Show me your glory. Hold nothing back. Show me everything. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book, Revival, writes these words. To what extent are we aware of a desire for God himself and for knowledge of the glory of God? Pause. Read the first line again and answer the question for yourself. To what extent are we aware of a desire for God himself and for knowledge of the glory of God? 
I imagine that this is the highest peak of faith, and I'm concerned the church doesn't even care. Moses, you see, is no longer asking God for a particular blessing. He's done that, but he doesn't stop at that. He's gone beyond blessings. He's gone beyond the gifts. He's now seeking God himself. He is now filled with a passion for a personal knowledge confrontation meeting with God himself. Moses is saying, God, I want to see it all. I'm so overwhelmed in love with you. I want to see all of your glory. The miracles of the Exodus were not enough. Imagine. All the amazing things you did for me are not enough. Same thing for us. Mount Everest and seeing it is not enough. Seeing all the oceans in their breadth and depth, not enough. Seeing the universe and the stars, it's not enough. I want more. Why does Moses want more? I mean, he sees God face to face. He's God's friend. God knows him by name. Moses wants more because, ready? He's not satisfied. And neither are we. Why? Why do these amazing experiences we have fade, these amazing accomplishments pass? Why do amazing sights lose their glimmer? C.S. Lewis writes, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. I carry this burden that many Christ followers would be defined today as self-satisfied. Self-satisfied. We have the feeling and security that we've arrived. We've got our jobs, got our home, got our kids at the right place. Sometimes it's a spiritual arrival. We've been saved or had some other kind of experience and we start to relate to God as if we just maintain, like changing the oil in a vehicle. We come on Sunday, get the oil changed and keep it running. Where? But where is the striving that we see in Moses? Where are the people who pray, I don't care where we go from here. I just want to go with you, God. Where's the seeking more of God? Not the seeking of accomplishment or accolade, but seeking more of God. Where is the challenge for the modern church to rise on the wings of our faith and follow in the footsteps of Moses where we thank God for his many blessings and yet beg to see his glory? Have you ever prayed that? God, show me your glory. How will God's going to respond? How is God going to respond to this request to see his glory? So God responds. The Lord said, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy whom I'll have mercy, compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. It is an intimate relationship where Moses wants to see more of God. And God's response, like the father, the mother wrestling with their children, I can see all of you, but you couldn't handle seeing all of me. 
Someone say amen. Come on, that's, that's, can you imagine if that were actually true? You remember when Isaiah caught a glimpse of God in the temple? The scripture actually says, it was, in Isaiah 6, it was just the hem of his garment that filled the temple. The temple's the biggest building they knew. It's just the hem, like the little thing they sewed at the bottom, you know, the hem filled the temple. And, Moses, and do you remember what Isaiah said? He said, I'm undone. Translation of that is, I am soul shattered because I am an unclean man in the presence of God. Do you remember John in Revelation chapter one? And he gets his revelation from God. John describes seeing this glimpse of God's glory and he fell at his feet, he said, as if he were dead. You remember Saul Paul? It's so inconvenient they changed the name because it's hard to track. But he's on the way to Damascus, do you remember? And on the way to Damascus, he catches a glimpse of God's glory and he falls face down and it blinds him. Moses says, show me your your glory. God says, you can't handle that, Moses. But check this out. The Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. Come on. (laughs) And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and I'll just cover you with my hand. Just like right there, like in like, like not even like, like just like a thumb got you covered. You know, just like a hand, I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So God, out of concern for Moses, puts him on the cleft of the rock, takes his hand, walks by, removes his hand, and Moses sees the back of God, and he is undone. That's why the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good because you can't handle a whole meal. (laughs) Yeah. And when one catches just a glimpse of the backside of God's glory, whatever that is, do you know how the friend, the one that God knows his name, do you know how he responded? Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped because he was seeing the true God and not a God he created. He was in the presence of God. That is the correct response to the glory of God. Even in the presence of greatness, the perspective can become dulled. And we who worship God, we can lose our wonder of God. Again, from C.S. Lewis, if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. Do you understand what just happened? These earthly pleasures, these blessings we have, they were never the end goal. They're just to awaken in us something deeper. 
If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. Lewis writes, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. You did not know you were that significant, but you are. Our challenge, if you are a believer, is to never settle for less than what we were created for. Namely, we were created, ready, for a personal, intimate relationship with the creator of the universe, and that's accessible to anybody. And as God's glory is continually revealed, throughout the pages of scripture, we meet his son, Jesus, And in Jesus, over and over and over, we see the glory of God. We see God's face. This is from John. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Read the last line with me. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Eh. So what? I mean, if we can't apply this to life, what good is all this? Here's what I'm suggesting. I think even today, God will give us glimpses of his glory, of him passing by. I don't think we get to see it all full on. I think we get glimpses of it. Now, let me take you on a wild ride and see if you agree. What about thunder and lightning? See, thunder, I'm talking like, I'm talking about thunder and lightning. I'm like, like thunder, like the dog runs to the crate kind of thunder. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm like, you just saw Jesus rattles the window kind of thunder, you know? That's what I'm talking about. Lightning, like, lights the whole sky up. That kind of lightning. Did you know, according to scripture, according to scripture, thunder and lightning are actually indications of God's power? Huh. Who, God's power, the same God who said in the beginning, let there be light and there was light. What if when we see lightning streak across the sky, we're catching a glimpse of what happened when God said, let there be light. But we can't see it all. We can't see it full on. Can you imagine 24 hours of that kind of light? What if when we hear thunder and it makes you repent of your sin, it's so loud, you know, in that moment, what if we hear that thunder, we are catching a glimpse of the power of God and we can't see it because we'd melt in his presence. Our structure wouldn't be able to maintain the weight of his presence, which is what the glory, what the word glory means. It means weight or heavy. What if we're not able to actually maintain it because it's so powerful and the weight of that power that we hear in the thunderstorm What if that's part of it? What if that's God's glory? What if when you're seeing a sunset, 
You see where I'm going? Anybody? What if, what if when you see the kid smile and laugh at something? What if when you see like a flower in spring and get hung by your microphone? What, what if, what if like um, you see your flowers that are blossoming right now and you're looking at them, but you can't see the full glory of the beautiful mind that created it? You can just see a glimpse of his glory right now. Do you understand? What if that's what's going on all around us, but because we've been seeking after the ATM God, we've missed his presence and his glory? What if that's going on in us? What if we settled for this small God and missed the glimpses of his power that God has? So, um, our oldest daughter, she was preparing to go to college, and um, she was leading worship in, in, in an event we had here. It wasn't the Alive service. It was something else that was going on. And um, I, I was here in the room in the back, and there's people, and, and um, she started doing this special song. I don't know, worship song. At that point, she has no intention of, of, of leading worship as a career at all. Um, and she does, by the way, now, she, that's what she does. So as she sang, the only thing I know to do is describe it this way and hope you trust me. God's spirit fell on me in such a way that is one of the most powerful spiritual events I've had in my life. And it wasn't a father-daughter thing. I mean, I'm always proud of the kids. They're always amazing. It was more than that. In fact, she was just this tool God was using to get to me. And I stood in the back back here, and man, I was standing by Lise, and God's spirit fell. And as she led, I basked under the anointing that she was carrying, and I saw the glory of God. And I was standing by Lise, and man, I am an ugly crier. I mean, people run away from me when I cry. You know, like, there's all those people, oh, are you okay? No one does that to me. They think they're going to get hurt. And now it's like, there's like a glazed donut, and you know, the big... It's terrible. And Lisa's like, Tom, you know, you're embarrassing me, you know. God, I'm so sorry. And um, it was this kind of thing. I think I was supposed to be speaking at the event, and she head out the side door because she had to go somewhere else. And so I left back there bawling. And when you're torn up and you cry like I do, people get out of the way. And so I, kind of, I was going through the halls, you know. <laughs> Like an ogre. And so I go through the hall and I ran out and I caught her in the car. Okay. And I knock on the window and she rolls the window and here I am. <laughs> she goes, Dad, what's wrong? Did mom die? You know, what's happened to you? I said, Rachel, I just saw, <laughs> I just saw God's glory <laughs> through you. And whatever you do with your life, God has anointed you. And many others will see his glory through you. Do you understand? God's looking for ways to show you his glory. But you can't see it all the way. So, we'll look through these kind of lenses these days. But you'll see it. You'll see it. A song will move you. And God's glory will be revealed to you. You know? 
or God will speak to you in some clear way. You'll be reading your scripture and something will be awakened in you. I see God's glory. You see? But you have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. God will do that with his glory. And so your takeaway, seek it, desire it, look for it. It's there. We were never meant to be content with a little when it comes to the presence of God. We were meant to be overwhelmed. There's always more. One more quote from Lewis. We do not want merely to see God's beauty. We want something else which can hardly be put into words. To be united in it. To pass into his beauty. To receive it into ourselves and to bathe in it. To become part of it. At present, we're on the wrong side of the door. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it shall not always be so. Someday we shall get in. Somebody say amen. Yeah, amen. Oh, Jesus. Oh, I so long for the day, Lord. I so long for the day, but until that day, I want to be part of a community that seeks your glory. Traveling across the lake and we see the sunset and we see your glory. Seeing the leaves and all the different color of green, the spring comes on. We're seeing your glory. We can't see it fully right now, but man, we're catching a glimpse. We're seeing the innocent child who says they love, an innocent child who trusts. We're seeing your glory. We're seeing your glory. All the way to the cross, we see your glory. A God who loves without condition, who dies before we acknowledge you as Savior, we see your glory. A God who conquers sin and then conquers death, we see your glory. We see your glory. So my prayer for all those listening to my voice right now, would you give them a glimpse of your glory? And when it happens, may they know it's you. I've put you in the cleft of the rock so you can see my glory. You are great, God. You are great. We long to be in your presence. In your name, amen.